Welcome to the Future Champions podcast in this episode of the Gospel According to Cassie Vincentorio. This is meant to be a story of Cassie Vincentorio and her journey of representing Australia in touch football. But it is so much more than that. Cassie's journey and her pursuit of representing Australia is inspiring. But for me, it is the relationship between Peter Feldman and his daughter Cassie that really shines through. Cassie grew up in a small Queensland town called Gainda in a loving family with parents who were committed to providing their children with every opportunity possible. She immersed herself in a range of sports, swimming, running, netball, football, cross-country, triathlon and touch football. Touch football became the sport Cassie pursued into her adulthood. In April 2019, Cassie travelled to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia with the mixed 30s Australian touch team to compete in the Touch World Cup where they were crowned world champions. This two-part series is Cassie's journey from junior elite sport to becoming a Queensland and Australian representative athlete. It is also the story of a loving father who did whatever he had to do in order to give his children every opportunity for success, including becoming a swimming coach despite not being able to swim. Here is part one of the gospel according to Cassie Vincentorio. There's a way of an introduction. Can you tell us about growing up in sport? What sports did you play? I actually grew up in a small town called Gainder. It is the oldest town in Queensland, I'm pretty sure. And the only thing that you can do is sport. Basically, I grew up playing multiple different sports. I was the only girl that played soccer, obviously touch football. I was really good at cross country, triathlons, you name it. I was playing whatever sport I could and my parents were really, really supportive. My dad is also a very good touch player as well. So no matter what sport I wanted to do, they would always encourage me to do my best. So I was really lucky. Gainder is the oldest town in Queensland, but it's also very remote. It is, yes. How challenging was that for you as you grew in your sports? It was hard to get access to good coaching. A lot of the time the coaches that I was having were my parents and they were learning skills sort of on the run and learning from other people. What I found was is that I had to travel a fair way to be able to get good coaching and it really showed because I actually didn't make any representative sides for touch football when I was growing up until I was in my older age group. How old were you when you first started getting into sport? I started particularly playing touch football at 11. By that stage, it was still seven aside. It is now six aside. But I was very young, so I started swimming when I was about five or six. If you give me an idea of as you grew up in primary school, mm-hmm. how many different sports would you play? I was playing probably five or six different sports. When did you first start having to travel to get the coaching you needed? And was that specifically for touch football or were you getting coaching in other sports as well? It was other sports. So particularly swimming and cross country. And then because I was good at swimming and distance running, I then got into the triathlon aspect of the sport. I was getting coaching for that as well. But touch, not so much. Touch was more local. How hard was it for you to change over to a different sport altogether? I found that I was obviously very good at the swimming. I actually made Queensland for swimming. Bike, I had to practice everything. So the small, finer details of transitioning and knowing 
knowing how to get off the bike and making sure that my legs were okay to be running the distance and all those sorts of things. I just didn't think anything of it. At that stage, we didn't have clip-in shoes. They were just literally just the cade and you just slip your feet in and go and just even trying to get your water bottle to make sure that you can, you know, drink and ride at the same time or, you know, getting your helmet on and I think we, I used to have the elastic laces where you just slip your shoes on. And so all of that was really, really hard to learn. And then into the run and I was good at running, but not after a bike. So it was just trying to get my legs back and make sure that I had enough running in my legs to be able to make the five to 10K. When did you have to travel and where did you have to travel? Particularly Harvey Bay. I was going there and doing a lot of the competitions. And while I was doing the competitions, I was getting training through those. It was probably only once every so often I was actually getting proper training. The rest of the time it was my dad talking to people and then him relaying messages to me. I started doing really well when I was going to the smaller competitions and my dad is very big on if you've committed to something you put 110% into it. So I was training every day, morning and night, and it got to the point where someone noticed and sort of went, oh, I think you need to go and do some bigger competitions. So I started doing that and I ended up making the the Queensland school team. And how old were you when, when you made the Queensland school team? I would have been about 13 or 14. Where I went was Twin Waters. We had the competition there and I was doing so well and then my bike wheel fell off and it just was shattering and I was just so shattered and I had trained so hard and I just remember walking down the side of the road with trying to carry everything and I was just in tears and I I actually didn't go back (laughs) and I stopped. Can you talk to me about that decision not to return to triathlon? I think I had a fear of being on the bike because it wasn't my strong suit and I always had a fear of it being something that I couldn't control. I can control my stroke and, you know, I can control my running and I feel as it's, you know, sort of a machine, I just, I didn't have control over it and I always had a a little bit of a fear of being on the bike and then to come off and, you know, you look down and there's, you know, the wheel's not on. I just couldn't train. I just couldn't get back on the bike. Explain the actual incident. You've done your swim. How well were you doing in the swim? I actually came out in front. And then you've gone straight onto the bike Mm. and you're how far into the bike? I probably was, I hadn't done lap one yet. So there was still the the two laps of the five. Physically, you, you're feeling strong. Yeah, I, I was good. And they at Twin Waters, they have like the little speed bumps that you have to, and I just hit the bump and it just went, it was gone. And did you fall off? Yeah. Yeah. And I was not in a good way. <laughs> I had a lot of grazes and and I just, I I wanted to get like, my first reaction was, oh, let's just try and fix what's going on. And obviously there's people on the side and they're watching and I just burst into tears and I just was like, nah. But I I do think if I had had something happen within the swim or in the run leg, I think I would have just gotten back up and done it. But because it was the bike and it was something I wasn't super confident with to begin with, I just had a bit of a a meltdown. When you came off, can you just talk me through the moment you came off the bike? I don't fully understand. I wasn't, my dad did everything with the bikes. The only thing we can come up with is that I've hit it, the speed bump 
so hard that the wheel, there's like a bolt and it's just popped out and then the wheels just come off. Look, to be fair, coming from a small country town and I was doing multiple sports, I didn't have the flashiest bike. I probably didn't have the best equipment and it showed. But for me, when I fell or when the bike wheel came off and I ended up on the ground, the first reaction from me was, oh, I just want to get up and keep going. But that when I guess you look around and I'm looking and there's people rushing over, I I knew right then and there. And then I just felt like my heart broke because I could see the flashing of all the training that I did, all the time and effort my parents had put in, you know, some of the money, you know, that's gone into this and to get me here. And I was just absolutely shattered. And so what happened from there? Just have to walk back. So I just had to pick up the bike and then walk back and you just see my dad standing on the side near the finish line, finishing line where we transition and he just knew that obviously something had gone wrong. He could see the wheel in one hand and the bike in the other and he just he he still to this day probably blames himself. So, you know, it's I was heartbroken for him also because I knew how much they, you know, him and mum had invested in me being here and it was a big effort being a small country town girl and all of a sudden I'm in Twin Waters representing Queensland and I get not even halfway into a race. And what was the conversation like with your dad when you caught up with him with one wheel and a hand and the bike in the other? He just hugged me. He didn't say too much. He's a police officer, so he doesn't say a lot, but he hugged me. And then he, like I said, he was more, you know, wanting to blame himself for, oh, it's my fault. I should have checked it. And, you know, I said to him, you could have checked it a thousand times and the same thing could have happened. It's just the way that sport goes. And, I guess after you have that time to reflect, you realise that these things are out of your control and I probably in hindsight probably should have sucked it up and had another crack at it. But yeah, I just had the fear of getting on that bike. So I decided to change sports. At what point did you decide? Was that at that competition? Was it on the way home? Were you planning to get back on the bike? But after a couple of weeks, you thought, no, I can't do this. I would would have said probably if you asked me this 10 years ago, maybe I had time to reflect after. I probably made the decision, if I'm going to be honest with myself, as soon as I started walking back with the bike wheel and the bike to the transition area. I think I was pretty much like, nah, this is done. And then I just, I think I lost the passion and the heart to even give it another go. Peter Feldman is Cassie's dad and a massive influence in Cassie's sporting journey. Whatever sport Cassie was interested in pursuing, Peter became her coach, not because he wanted to be the coach, but because in remote areas like Gainda, you really had no other choice. Peter remembers the race at Twin Waters. Her triathlon coach was virtually myself because there's no triathlon coaches outside metropolitan areas. Uh, I had no experience in bike riding and my my swimming experience was limited. So my memory of that was, was, was actually a twin waters. We used to go to the Harvey Bay Club to compete on a weekly basis or fortnightly basis just to give her experience. And then she made the school um, side to compete at the state titles and she was 
doing really well in that particular event until yeah, there was a problem with the wheel on the bike. For me, that was heartbreaking because as a coach and you're a parent, you're trying to say everything's all right, but in, you know, in, the, in the background, you're thinking, well, it was your fault. It was heartbreaking. All I could say to her, I'd probably explain how I felt. I, I was shattered. Shattered for her, but also feeling guilty that it was it was something that I'd done you know, mechanically on the bike to cause the problem. I also have a lot of admiration for parents who become coaches because you, you have to put your coaching hat on as well as your parents' hat on. And as much as I wanted to jump the fence and hug her and say everything was all right, all I could do was tell her to keep going. Did she mention to you that it was at that walk or that point or even the drive back home, despite the fact that she said that she was going to keep doing triathlon, that in her mind she'd made a decision that she wasn't going to continue. She probably had never ever mentioned to that me personally, but I can understand why she would have felt that way. And I can I can fully understand why Cass would have thought, well, I'm never going to do this again because I can't get the support. If something does go wrong with the bike, I really haven't got that help to sort it out. If Cass had access to a coach that was a triathlon coach and that incident had happened, do you think there could have been a possibility that the coach would have coached the situation rather than shown compassion i guess as a, as a parent yes yeah of course it, of course it does because it's difficult to take your parents hat off and be the coach's hat um if there hadn't been an independent coach there that, that outcome might have been totally different she could be still doing triathlons i totally agree like that whole situation would have turned uh, or i believe would have turned out differently with with an independent coach for sure Lars Olsen from BME Multisports is a highly experienced triathlon coach and has taken many young athletes to state and national competitions. I shared Cassie's experiences with Lars and this is what he had to say. I've actually had one of the girls that has had an accident during racing and that was before she was being coached by me. If it's not approached in the right way, it could damage their psyche and their confidence for their bike skills moving forward. And for this particular girl, it did just that. By the time she came to me, it was probably three years after her first stack on the bike and which she ended up breaking an arm. And from then on, every single corner, every single turn, she would lose two, three bike lengths to all her other competitors. Strong in a straight line. But when it comes to the skill and the confidence to turn, then it needs to be addressed straight after an incident like that in the right way. Otherwise, as it's proven, you know, many times, you know, that either the sport loses them completely or that they develop a real fear and a phobia towards that particular part of the bike leg which is the skills part, which is very important. Over the years, I've had athletes that have had stacks and, and accidents, whether it be in training or whether it be in racing. Racing, it's, you know, it's heightened because you've got people cheering you on. For most of them, it's been lucky enough that it hasn't been a serious accident that has ruled them out of the competition. They've been able to get up, dust it off and then get back on their bike albeit a little bit, you know, less confidence for the rest of the bike ride. It's more about... After that, the discussion and the debrief of why it happened, first of all, you know, what could have been done to maybe have that less of a chance of it happening, but in the end it happened. So we go back to training and we go back to doing the more of the skills work and making sure that they've got confidence back up again as quickly as possible in in terms of the turns, whether it be a right angle turn, whether it be a U-turn around a cone, whether it be a figure eight work, making sure that confidence is back as quickly as possible 
means that particular accident doesn't fester and create more problems in their mind. Cassie mentioned earlier that she was a swimmer. So I asked her about growing up in the sport. What absolutely stunned me was that Peter, who was the town swimming coach, was certainly not a swimmer. Now, if you ask Peter, he will tell you that he can swim, but not well. But if you ask Cassie, she would tell you that the Gainder swimming coach had as much swimming ability as a deck chair. It looks very comfortable on the side of the pool, but you drop it into the water, it will sink to the bottom. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. Mum and Dad owned the swimming pool in Gainder and my mum was the swim teacher. And so me and my brother got into swimming quite young. I was, you know, sort of winning a lot of races at the primary and the secondary or later on secondary carnivals. But I ended up starting to do a lot of club swimming and I was doing quite well. And eventually I got selected for, for Queensland. So... Again, my dad was my coach and he can't even swim. Like he has, he was doing courses to learn how to um, refine strokes and all those sorts of things, but he actually can't swim himself. If you're in the city, if you're, if you're in Brisbane or on the Sunshine Coast or in Sydney and you've got a child that's interested in swimming, you get a swim coach. <laughs> that doesn't happen in areas like Gainder or other regional no. areas in Queensland. Parents often have to be the coach, mentor, dietitian, nutritionalist, and they have to learn things that maybe others don't. Is, is that what happened in your family? Yeah. So dad, he also grew up in a small country town, Mandabra, Monto, which is near Gainda, and he just never learned to swim. Like it wasn't, they just did farm work and he never actually ever learned to swim. So when we moved next to the swimming pool, it was, you know, us kids were in there. So he just decided, well, you know, they're quite good. Well, I'll start, you know, looking and researching and started doing coaching courses. And eventually he, yeah, became the actual swim coach of the Gainda Swimming Club. So he was coaching everyone. I remember one day, one of the girls actually walked down the side of the pool and pushed him in. And he was, he couldn't swim and no one knew. And he was literally like grabbing onto the edge of the pool. And this girl goes, oh, like what's going on? And he goes, I like, I can't swim. I thought it was quite kind of funny as his kid going, oh, he just got pushed in. But realistically, like he, like no one knew because he just never got in the water. He was always on the side and telling everyone what to do. And it just so happened that most people found out when he got pushed in. I have to say that's the most fascinating <laughs> story. Yeah. Would he be the only swimming teacher that you know of that I have swim? never, ever, even when we moved to the Sunshine Coast, all of the swim coaches had previous representative swimming expertise. Like he had nothing nothing at all. So he still to this day, he can, he taught himself eventually to swim basic, but he, even when we go in the pool now, he can't swim properly. Like he's near the edge. So we transferred to gain, obviously in my work, I transferred out there when they were a young age. So my philosophy as a parent was, and this has come from my upbringing as well for my parents is to expose my children as to as many sporting opportunities as I could to see what they like. Cass started to excel, particularly in the swimming area, which was rather strange because I've never been a swimmer my whole life. And she she got into swimming. And, and it's funny that it's that sort of progressed now into touch football. It was difficult because in, in regional areas, you don't have as many sports exposure because it's just not just not the coaches and just not the 
the amount of kids to fill teams, so to speak, in, in all the different sports that, that people get in city areas. So it was difficult. Part of that problem too was that you end up with your father having to coach <laughs> coach the children because there's no, nobody else available. I certainly wasn't an expert in swimming. I could tell you that now my, my swimming certificate said I needed supervision when I was going through the police academy. <laughs> and then here I am, I landed into a, a swimming coach job at, at uh at a small country town because there was nobody else available. So that's some of the challenges that kids in rural areas have. I have the greatest admiration for kids who do get to elite level sport because they have to overcome those challenges to actually achieve and get and get where they get to. You know, don't get me wrong, the people in the city work just as hard you know, as, as country kids, but they, they have all the facilities available, all the coaches available. The kids in the country have far more difficult challenges. You were the swimming coach. If I understand right, you couldn't swim. <laughs> well, I, I I wasn't. I was a very poor swimmer. I wouldn't. I couldn't swim. I was a very poor swimmer. I had. I had no knowledge of swimming coaches. And what what it entailed is I had to go and travel to Brisbane to do swimming coaching courses. I actually, learn from scratch what a swimming coach needed to do to actually coach a club full of kids, whereas down in the city, you know, you've got coaches with endless qualifications and as much choice as kids want to, you know, as far as different levels of coaching, whereas the kids are going to got a coach who had to go and learn to be a coach. So it's the difficulties they have to come across. So how important then were your parents to your progression in sport and for your passion? Massive. I wouldn't have been playing sport if it wasn't for my mum and dad. I probably may have been a little bit more academic <laughs> if I um if I didn't have them, but yes. They're passionate about sport as well. Yeah, so my mum was a horse rider. Her brothers are jockeys, but I never went in that sort of avenue. I kind of like the more tomboyish sports like soccer and football. And so dad was actually, he got coached by Wayne Bennett when he was younger. Yeah, I've heard of him, I think. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, I don't and, think he can swim either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wouldn't surprise me, actually. He's very good at running, apparently. Very fast. Yeah. And, um, and dad sort of went from rugby league and then um, went to touch football. And he's actually represented Queensland and stuff with touch football as well as my cousins and it's just that's the sport our family seemed to to really love. You've always had an interest in in touch football. I started playing when I was 11. I lost a little bit of interest probably around my 20s. I had a couple of years off playing and then I came back and the last sort of four to five years is when really I've had my rep stuff all snowball into into that time. I actually didn't make any rep sides growing up at all and then I get to represent Australia. We often hear in sport that by 13 if you haven't been identified you're probably not going to be but over and over and over again we see people defy that logic and you're obviously one of them. Touch was was hard because I was so into the distance running and the cross country and swimming and those sorts of things and I probably didn't put enough time and effort into that and I sort of wasn't the standout. I was the player that just did the hard work and I wasn't the flashy player. I wasn't super fast and so when it came to rep sides I just got missed out. I was always the shadow and you're always waiting and hoping that someone will pull out or, and no offense, but get injured. And then you get to go in and it just never happened. And I put in a lot of time during high school and I got out of school and 
sort of went, you know what, why am I bothering? I've done all this hard work to be making these teams and I do work hard. I spend hours passing the ball with my dad and I practice my running and I'm trying to get faster and and I just wasn't getting noticed. And then it got to a point, yeah, where I gave up and I actually went overseas to teach and the touch competition in England was about two hours away from where I was living and just my passion was gone. So I just went, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to travel two hours to play. And then... I had two years off and I ended up traveling the two hours. I missed it. And so I traveled two hours to play. In that time, were you still pursuing sport in other areas? Not really. No, I was just more going to the gym, just wanting, like I was, I've always wanted to keep fit. I'm one of those kids that couldn't sit still. So I was just going to the gym. You go overseas, you're in the UK, you're two hours away from the touch football competition. When did that spark realight? I guess obviously we have social media and we we see all you know our friends and a lot of my friends are through touch football so I can see them back home playing and enjoying themselves and they're getting to do all these competitions and I just had a moment where I was like two hours is not that far just you know you're on trains listen to music you'll be fine so I would pack my stuff after school and get on the train and I'd go there and play my game for 40 minutes and then get back on a two-hour train back. And how long did you do that for? Uh, Just the six months. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. Look, the touch over there is very different and it's really funny because here you underestimate how good you are because you've got – you're surrounded by really amazing players and you go over there and they look at you like – how are you not playing for Australia or how are you not playing rep stuff? And I'm like, I just played. In the end, they actually wanted me to stay so I could eventually represent England, but I just couldn't do it. It would have been nice, but I was like, ultimately my goal was always to try and play for Australia. But they're they're lovely. Like the competition is amazing, but they just don't have the standard over there it just isn't as high as what we've got here. They were right in asking you <laughs> why you're not representing Australia because you ended up representing Australia. I did. And look, it was it it was a dream and it was something that I sort of put on the back burner and went, you know, look, I just I want to play touch and enjoy it and even though I needed to work really hard, I needed people behind the scenes to be able to to push me and go, "Hey, you can get there." Because I feel like I was going probably back into the same triathlon mindset where I just went, look, I didn't make that team or, you know, this is really hard work. Is it going to achieve anything? And I was very lucky to have a coach. He really pushed me and sort of challenged me with my playing to get better. And eventually it got to the point where one of the Australian TIs, so the talent identification team, actually just saw me at a local club. Were you worried that if you invested too much into this that potentially the wheel would fall off again? Yeah. You had a coach Mm -hmm. that stopped those negative thoughts and got you to realign your thinking that you are good enough. I was worrying about everybody else's perception of me, knowing that my family is very much a, you know, a touch orientated family and they had already made Queensland and some of them had already made Australian teams. And I had this perception that because I had that family name, that I needed to be at a certain level. And he just said, remember why you do this. Remember why you play. You play because 
you enjoy it because of the social side of things and you got your friends that play. It's a challenge. It's hard. You're not just going to make a Queensland side or Australian side overnight. You've had two years off, but you need to put in the hard work. So having two years off and coming back, it's not automatically going to happen. And it took four years of hard work. And you never gave up on that why, that dream, the absolute why? No. I had three knockbacks to the Australian team before I made it. And I didn't go back to the mindset of, you know, the wheel falling off. And again, I think it was the the networking and the people behind the scenes that really pushed me mentally to go, you know what, even though you didn't make the Australian team that time, you still made an Australian squad. How many people get to do that? So it was just changing my negative because I'm really hard on myself to move to a more positive and go, okay, yeah, I didn't make it, but let's think about the positives. Jeff Hooper is the coach and mentor that Cassie is referring to and a key part to her positive network. He has worked with Cassie over the years and kept her focused and willing to dream of achieving her goals. Jeff is a Queensland Touch State of Origin coach and was exactly the type of mentor Cassie needed. And that's where Cassie's the inspiration for the young girls who sit there and go, oh, I haven't made that Queensland side at 15. I haven't made that Queensland side at 18. Oh, I'm not getting picked for representatives. Cassie even went away from the sport overseas at 23, came back at 25 or 26, and then started working again at it. Had a break, walked away enjoyed life, came back, and then the focus wasn't all about touch. It became a bit more about life. That's where her inspiration is for the young girls. You don't have to do it right now. You don't have to do it at a young age. She's living proof that if you just keep working at it, you'll get there. As a parent, Peter understood Cassie's unrelenting drive and was an incredible source of encouragement and motivation to Cassie. And then it was bittersweet because then you get rejected um, and then, you know, there's that disappointment that goes with that. But as I said to you, she's a, she's a fighter. <laughs> she she didn't she didn't give up. Um, it was more so I'm going to show them that I can actually compete at this level. And that again manifested itself because she got knocked back a second time as well. And it wasn't until the third time that she actually got selected. As a parent, to sit back and see how much hard work she put into a cheek to get there, she was relentless. She just kept working at it, kept working at it until until um, they had no choice but to select her. That goes the same for every athlete. You don't have to be the most talented athlete. As long as you work hard at it and you're committed, more often than not, you're going to to make it. I want to take you back to the wheel falling off at the triathlon where you're representing Queensland. Do you think that if you had a coach like your touch football coach that after that event happened said, hey, that happens Mm. and encouraged you and pushed you back to get on the bike, that potentially you wouldn't have given up on that sport? Yeah, because I think, there's a difference between having a coach and a, and a dad. And even though he was doing both roles, he went to the dad mentality of, I'm so sorry. And he wanted to nurture. Whereas I guess coaches have a nurturing side to them, but they also have a, a reasoning side of, it's okay, suck it up and get on the bike. You'll be fine. You've fallen once before and you were good. So I think. Yeah, if I had have had a coach that pushed me a little bit, I think that I probably maybe could to this day be still doing triathlons. I guess it's that difference between a parent and a coach, particularly an experienced coach, 
who after that event may have said, congratulations, you've had your first fall. I guess having that experience is really important. And I guess mentorship is really important for young athletes. Yeah, and I'm asking a dad to be a swim coach, a running coach, a triathlon coach. And there's only so much that, you know, like you said, expertise that they have. And I think sometimes there's that crossover and he obviously in that moment felt more like he needed to be a father and a dad than down the line, hard line coach. So. And the reality is the only reason he's a swim coach, <laughs> a triathlon coach, a touch football coach is because he wants to be a dad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that I guess is the difference between yeah. a coach and a dad. And the fact that we're in an isolated small country town and he felt like the only way that I would have these opportunities was for him to do that. And he gave up a lot of his time and life to coaching me multiple different sports just so I had those opportunities, whether I failed or I didn't. I was interested to know more about Peter's philosophy on parenting and being there for his children, particularly in sport. It was a lesson he learned from his parents. My association with sport came from my parents as well. You know, I was one of the only kids you just think about, you know, I'm a lot older now than most people, but, uh, you know, when I was going to school, I can't remember a sporting event I went to where it wasn't at least my mother on the sideline. It was, was both my mother and father. They went to every sporting event that, that I can remember. Um, yeah, most uh, people of my parents' era were busy working, trying to make enough money to so you could afford to go to sports. Um, Yes, you know, I would go to an afternoon, uh, I'd be representing the school at a, at a school football match, rugby league game of an afternoon, and I'd look across and the only person on the sideline out of all the kids that were playing was my mother sitting on the sideline <laughs> watching this play, <laughs> you know. And, and from that upbringing, I wanted to make sure that I was there for everything that Cass and, and my son Mitch did to me. And my son Mitch is a fairly talented athlete as well. So you know, I wanted to make sure I was there for, for all their achievements. Cassie shares how she was first recognised by Australian selectors. I was playing in a Brisbane competition. We call it Metro Cup and I still play there. I think I was meant to retire about four years ago. And... I actually was more of a mixed player. I had never really played a lot of women's and I so happened to be asked to play in this women's team and I challenged the coach a little bit because I was very, I'm a very ad lib player and I just like to play what's in front of me and women's is very structured and we sort of fed off each other a little bit and I ended up enjoying playing women's so I was training and getting better and I don't actually know the behind the scenes story but apparently the Australian team there was a few girls that couldn't go to the World Cup and they had scouts walking around this competition because it's the best one that we have in Queensland at the end of the year and they were walking around and apparently I must have done something that stood out and the Australian Development Officer went up to the coach and said, who's that? And probably two days later got an email saying, will you fly to Sydney in a week's time and trial for Australia in the 27s division? And you said no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, maybe after the training camp and all the fitness I might have wanted to, but no. I was in shock because I hadn't ever thought that that was a possibility. 
I'd just come back from overseas. I was now playing in a division that I wasn't really used to. And then all of a sudden the dream began. (laughs) You get this message saying, go to Sydney to trial. So you've got to invest time, money, emotional energy Mm -hmm. to go down with the potential of rejection. How long between when you actually got asked to go and when you went down? So I got the letter. There was four weeks I got to train before I went because everybody else had received letters previously. And then that's obviously when they found out there wasn't going to be enough girls and they needed more girls to go down there. So I was sort of at the back end. So there was about four of us that, or five of us that got called in and we only had the four weeks to get ready. The rest of them had a few months. How hard was it to have to think about going to trial for those four weeks? I was so nervous. Like I was so, so nervous to go down. So the training, sorry, was the four weeks I had, I just smashed myself with fitness and trying to be up to standard, practicing my passing, all the sort of little skills that I needed to. But I just didn't know what to expect because I'd never obviously had that opportunity before. And then again, my father (laughs) flew down with me to Sydney and was there. He just stood on the sideline and watched. I was the only person in a 27s division with their dad watching. (laughs) (laughs) Was he nervous or...? He was excited. He was really excited because he, I think because he's grown up in that touch world as well, he got to see people that he'd played against and he got to see what it was like at an Australian camp. And I guess for him, he is very logical. So he was like, oh, like, oh, I can do that. And maybe I can make, you know, the Australian 50s side. And he was excited because he just got to sit and watch really good touch. It was very awkward though when you've got like you're meant to be an adult and you've got your dad sitting on the sideline and everyone's like, who's that guy? And I'm like, oh, that's my dad. <laughs> okay. And they're like, oh, okay. Especially when they all knew each other yeah, in the camp and I turn up and I'm just this, like for me it was just like I'm just this little fish and these girls have all played for Queensland or for New South Wales or or for Australia previously. And I got TI'd from a Brisbane competition. And I remember I'm meeting the coach and he's like, oh, here's your uniform, your training uniform. And I pull it out and the pants are way too big and the shirt's way too small. And he's like, yeah, that's not going to work. This was somebody else's stuff. And, you know, you got called in and I'm like, oh, okay. And everyone else is mingling around and they're all talking to each other and I'm just like standing there knowing absolutely no one. And one of the girls that I eventually played Australia with came over and was, oh, you know, um, where are you from? And I was like, oh, Sunshine Coast. Have you played for Queensland? No. Oh, do you play Elite Eight, which is the the national competition? No. Have you played for Australia before? No. And she's like, oh, so like, what are you doing here? I was like, oh, well, I I got like TI'd in Brisbane. That's why I'm here. And I just felt so out of the loop. Were you asking yourself what you were doing there? There was very much a time when, especially when I was putting on the uniform in the bathrooms and I'm going, oh my gosh, what have I got myself into? Like, I guess I went in going, nah, this is not going to happen this is way too good to be true. Like there's no way I'm going to make this Australian side. Look at all the girls around me. And there was a few girls in there that I remember watching 
when I was slightly younger and just going, these girls are amazing and I'm getting to trial with them. And again, dad being the logical person he is just goes, soak it up. You're getting to trial with and play with people that you've never played with before. How many people from the Sunshine Coast, Coolum, get to say that they're been in an Australian squad. You need to think about all those good and positive things and then he said just have fun. You can't not have fun knowing the experience that you're in. We have now reached the end of part one of the Gospel According to Cassie Vincentorio. In part two, we hear about Cassie's heartbreak of not making the Australian team on her first trial, nor in her second. But she never gave up on her dream. Although her confidence was battered, her journey to Kuala Lumpur to finally wear the green and gold is inspiring. Don't forget to follow Intent Sport on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or visit our website at intentsport.com. 